Yeah, nobody has to be like a loud amen or either. You don't need to actually be my amen corner, but you know, you can respond. So, but. <laughs> be be aggressive. Got to be aggressive. It's the difference in having. No, I don't. <laughs> That's going to leave a mark. Are we, where are we at, Jacob? Awesome. All right, everybody, welcome to Saranac Lake Baptist Church. Let's go ahead and uh, read the text for this morning. So if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, you know that we have been going through um, a series called Power Psalms, and so we've been picking out uh, very uh, powerful psalms that have been powerful to us and have moved uh, in our lives and that God has used to teach us and uh, great lessons about faith. And we've just been uh, kind of distilling those psalms out and seeing what we can grasp about the character, the nature of God, and then applying those things uh, to our lives. And so today we're going to be in Psalm uh, 130. And so I'm going to go ahead and read that psalm. And then, and then we'll pray uh, and, uh, and give a little bit of, of intro before I read, actually. So uh, as you're turning to Psalm 130, this is a song of ascent. And so uh, you may remember we preached uh, one of the later psalms on this, and it was uh, Psalm 133. And we talked about what a song of ascent was. And songs of ascent are uh, the psalms between uh, 120 and 134. And each one of those psalms is a psalm that was... Uh, sung as the people pilgrimaged to Jerusalem for the various festivals. And so as the families were traveling, these families took these uh, theologically rich psalms and, and the parents would sing them and the kids would sing them as they would travel uh, to the temple. Uh, also, uh, songs of ascent were also, as you would walk up to the temple, uh, the leaders would actually recite these psalms as they went up each one of the stairs. And so they would be, uh, again, singing or reciting these psalms uh, because they're just so theologically rich. And so uh, the one thing about uh, songs of ascent that is probably a good uh, background to remember is, again, very deep, theologically rich. And, and this is somebody outside of a situation. Uh, some of the psalms have been, that have been most powerful are psalms that David wrote in the midst of uh, certain circumstances. We don't have the background of what generated this psalm, and so we don't have the backstory to know why. It's almost as if somebody in, in a calm-down state later on uh, looked back and was able to write this psalm uh, and, and impart things that maybe they wish they would have done or ways they wish they would have responded to those things around them. And so as families would sing these psalms, they were injecting theological truth into their kids uh, in the hopes that when the waters rose, they would be able to stand on biblical truth. So let me read Psalm 30, and then we'll pray, and then we'll go through, and I'm going to give you several points uh, in regards to the psalm. So Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas of mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his, words, in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. 
For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, just the next block of time that you've given us to meet and, and gather uh, in our homes and, uh, and the, the few folks that are gathered here uh, this morning. And God, I pray that you would uh, go ahead and use this block of time to teach us, to strengthen our faith in you, uh, God, to strengthen our resolve, and uh, God, that you would just speak. Father, these are just words on a page without your Holy Spirit bringing them to life. And I pray that you do that this morning and that you would teach us. Uh, just how to walk with you as the waters rise, in Jesus' name. And so that's sort of a, a running theme for this morning. Uh, as we look at this psalm, this is essentially a, a survival guide for moving forward as the waters rise around us. Uh, how many of you can relate to that lately? Um, the other day, I was, uh, I was walking through uh, Aldi's, and I, I'll, I'll never forget this woman that was coming down uh, the aisle, and she was literally pushing a cart with one hand and walking uh, with her other hand out, putting everything into her cart and gathering as much as she could get because she has wet, read the weather reports uh, with our climate outside, and she has seen that uh, with the virus coming, she's going to be prepared, and so she's hoarding and gathering as much as she can. I was just there to buy some tomato soup. Luckily, one of our church members was there and was able to point me to the tomato soup so I could get out of there uh, before she forearm shivered me into the wall. Um, it, when I think about um, the waters rising, this theme in Scripture continually comes out, and the, it's the biblical theme that runs through uh, many of the Psalms and many of the uh, different writings throughout Scripture, and that's the theme of waiting. That's the theme, uh, theme of learning how to wait when the waters around us are rising. Uh, as a kid, uh, in the summers, we would go up to a cottage. It was about an hour away from my house, and uh, it was this little red cottage. And I'll never forget one summer, I was probably about uh, 12 years old or so, maybe 13 years old, and uh, we went up to this little red cottage in Mount Morris, Wisconsin. And uh, as we're all sitting around and gathering around campfires and, and eating s'mores, way too many, of course, um, one of, the, uh, one of the weather reports came out, and, and it, it didn't look good. And so as we're sitting there and as we're eating uh, s'mores and, 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 and just enjoying each other's company, the, all of a sudden you looked up, and what you saw was these dark clouds that were rolling in. And so as the dark clouds rolled in, we, we uh, began to listen to the radio more actively. And, uh, and, and as we listened to the weather reports, what kept coming up uh, was that there was uh, weather that could torn it, turn into tornadoes. And so there was a tornado watch that was issued. And so uh, now we're all kind of huddling together a little bit closer to home. And, and there was only one response when we heard the tornado siren go off. It was huddle in the home, uh, huddle in this little tiny red cottage together with our friends and with our family that was there. And, and my parents uh, grabbed, I remember my dad prayed as we all got in there. And then we got the candles out and the flashlights out. And, uh, and then we began to play charades. We began to play charades with one another. And I, this, this great memory of my, my childhood was there. And it was all centered around just waiting. And the tornado hit, and it was about 10 miles away, and I'll never forget hearing it. It sounded like a freight train going through, and it sounded like it was right outside of our window, but in, in, in all reality, it was 10 miles away. But as the waters are rising, as the weather is getting worse outside, we're hunkered down in this little cottage creating family memories. 
Does that translate to anybody in our current culture, right? I mean, this psalm, the context of this psalm of 130 is in the first verse. Here's what the psalmist writes. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The psalmist is looking around, and it's in the depths is where he's at. He's in the depths. Uh, David Jeremiah comments on this in, in one of his commentaries. He said, the, the word depths in Hebrews refers to the deep parts of the sea, picturing watery chaos of life and floundering despair. I love that verbiage, floundering despair. This man is in despair. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the woman learning how to grab, you know, out of the shopping cart, out of the shopping cart walls and, 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 and just empty the shelves into your cart and get home and just uh, huddle and, and have more and have more and have more to try to make yourself comfortable? This man is in a spot, and when he writes this, he says, out of the depths, I cry to you. This man turned to prayer in the middle of the depths. And then he goes on to write, Oh Lord, hear my voice. I'm going to give you four different points of application in this psalm. And again, this was a step-by-step psalm. As these people were walking closer towards a worshipful time with the Lord, these people are remembering each one of these different steps in the midst. So in the swirling mess of life, the psalmist comes back to God's favor is the first point. Psalm 130, verses 2 through 4. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Right? Like, in the midst of a time where we feel like there is just waters rising, there is a swirling mess around us, right? There is floundering despair everywhere. Our biggest fear is that God is going to turn our backs on us, His back on us. That God is going to walk away, right? Like uh, the psalmist is feeling unheard. He's feeling like he's in a spot where uh, there is despair everywhere. He's in the depths and his prayers are hitting a ceiling. And in that spot, he goes on and he keeps writing, and he keeps moving uh, as, as he's writing the pen. These memories are coming back, and he says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Regardless of the chaos and the depths, this man's sin was covered by God's forgiveness. That meaning that Christ replaced his sin, that Jesus' death on a cross, uh, the Messiah that they looked forward to coming, when this Messiah would come, we look back, we see it was Jesus. They were looking forward, believing that Jesus was coming. This Messiah would come, and he would wipe away their sin, and there was no break in relationship to God. There is forgiveness of sin. So in the depths... In the depths of what he was feeling, there's forgiveness of sin. I can just picture a father traveling with his family back to Jerusalem and reciting this to the kids. Reciting that there is forgiveness uh, for, again, these people, the Messiah that would come. For us, the Messiah that did come, 
There is forgiveness of sin. There is God's favor poured out on his, uh, because of what His Son did for us. And we can partake of this close relationship in the depths. Number two, in the swirling mess of life, we wait on a soul level. In the swirling mess of life, we wait on a soul level. I mean, culturally, we really don't know what it's like to wait, right? Like, we want things immediately. Uh, this week, people want toilet paper immediately, right? And so, uh, but everybody wants to go ahead. They want immediate gratification for what they're feeling. And yet, the psalmist writes this in verse 5. In the survival guide, in the midst of the depths, he writes this, verse 5. I wait for the Lord my soul waits. In his word, I hope. He goes on to write in verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. So we get like this beautiful picture. Uh, uh, what is a watchman? We probably want to answer that as we dive into these two verses. Uh, a watchman uh, could be one of two things. Uh, number one, it could be a shepherd who at night would perch himself up on the wall uh, where the sheep were in a gate, and he was watching for any predators that might be hungry, and, and he would watch for anybody that might come to steal a sheep or uh, attack his sheep. And so he would position himself on a high mark so that he could watch and defend his sheep. Uh, what this probably uh, also could have, um, could have meant, or, or another picture, uh, would be that uh, a watchman is a, a soldier that would walk the wall all the way around, or he'd position himself in a high mark and watch for those that may come in. But it's a beautiful picture. The picture is this waiting. You see, when a watchman goes in there, there's three things that they do. When they go in, whether it's a shepherd or whether it is a soldier, uh, the watchman has three things that describe him. So how does the watchman wait? Number one, a watchman waits longingly. There is something that just seems out of place. I mean, uh, for a watchman, for somebody that is, is uh, meant, a soldier that was meant to defend and protect, they want to see their adversary. So when it's night out, I mean, they didn't have night vision goggles. So when it's night out, these guys are positioned and something just isn't right. For somebody in the depths, and hear this, for somebody in the depths, they know something just isn't right. When there is despair in our heart, we know that something just isn't right. It, it's the same thing that uh, the, um, the soldier felt as he looks out and can't really see very far, but knows his job is to defend and protect. This person is longing for either the stars to shine brighter, the moon to shine brighter, or the sunrise to come up. They are longing for that moment. Uh, give you another picture that happened a while back. I do a lot of premarital counseling with couples, and I had this uh, lovely young couple. And uh, in my premarital counseling, I have them go online and they fill out uh, this uh, this report, and and it takes them about 30, 45 minutes, and then we process through this report. It gives me a little bit of background, and it it kind of ranks and rates things that we need to deal with in premarital counseling. It's just an aid that I use. And uh, one, one of the couples that was waiting for marriage uh, on their longing uh, for one another, they both ranked a 10, 
right? Like these two were waiting for something good, uh, and there was longing as they waited for one another, and uh, that was a good thing. So if, if we're looking at this as a, what does this waiting look like? There is longing, longing. Number two, they were diligent. They were called to a job, and, that they, and they were the best of the best. These shepherds knew how to defend their flock. These soldiers knew how to defend. And so they were diligent. There was no option to be lax, right? Like, uh, we think of waiting right now as, you know, scrolling on our phones or clicking on something, uh, you know, a video game on our phone as we wait or, or watching something uh, at home until people come over, right? Like, our waiting is not active and diligently in our society very often. But there was no option to be lax. And I don't think as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have an option when we're waiting on God in the depths to be lax. I think the gospel draws us out of just being lax or lazy in the way that we wait on God. This is why in our mission statement at church, we have three different things uh, that are part of our mission statement. Number one, we grow. Uh, we feed our pursuit of Jesus. So when you're in a season that feels like you're in the depths, you keep feeding your pursuit of Jesus. You consume things that deepen your passion for Jesus Christ. Number two, we gather. Uh, we meet together. Amen, corner? Right? That's where you say amen? Yeah, yeah. We gather together. So even if we have to sit six feet apart, we're gathering together and we're meeting together as God opens up opportunity because we want to be active in the way that we wait in the midst of the depths. And number three, we go. We are on the move. We are looking for God's activity. Now, in whatever realm that looks like, if that's in your homes, you look for God's activity in your children. You look for God's activity in your spouse, and you jump on board with what God's already doing. You look for opportunities to serve your neighbors, and you go. You share the gospel. For you sports fans, you keep your head on a swivel, right? Like, we're ready. We're watching. We're actively watching and ready to go. Christianity is not a passive sport. Our waiting is not laziness. Our waiting is actively, it, just like a soldier waits for the sunrise to come up and their shift to be done, we are waiting for the S-O-N rise to come up until we are done. And it is active. Number three, uh, in regards to the watchmen, they have to wrestle through fear and anxiety. They have to choose faith. Again, if you think about these shepherds, their whole livelihood was in a pen. In, in one night, they could lose multiple sheep if they're not diligent. And, and so there is naturally fear and naturally anxiety that they have to fight through. Folks, when you are in a season where you are feeling the depths, you have to wrestle through it. You have to. The gospel calls you to engage in that. Uh, many, of you, many of you were here at church uh, a couple weeks back where I shared about um, the large animal that was in our attic, right? So we were, uh, over the course of about a week, we had discovered that there was something that had taken up residence in our attic that didn't need to be there. And so uh, we, we would hear it at night. Uh, one day, uh, my daughter called me up, and there was a pile of, like, uh, um, 
uh, corn and, and seeds and stuff where this thing had been getting in her room at night. So it would crawl out of the attic and go in her room at night, shimmy down the wall, go in her room at night, and it was hoarding all kinds of food in her laundry pile, right? And so first lesson, kids, do your laundry. Uh, however, uh, <laughs> that got an amen. However, uh, what I did, I decided to respond, maybe poorly, and I responded with putting a mousetrap up there just in case it was something small, and then began our adventure. And so all of a sudden, we began to hear this pounding up in the attic at night, and this rattling, loud rattling, and I knew that what had happened is I had a, that trap had sprung, and that trap had attached to an animal, and it was large. I mean, it was loud. And so the morning, uh, it was a Sunday morning, we had kind of been up on and off all the night before because it was just loud, rattling around, rolling around noise. And so I had uh, called some of our uh, forestry guys from church, they were both trappers and they came over and they were all ready to go up there and, and get this, you know, I was picturing a raccoon, potentially a bear, something was in our attic making noise. And... Uh, I'll never forget the look on the face of this, you know, hardened uh, forestry guy as he opens the door and looks around to try to figure out what's in our attic, right? What's thumping around in our attic? And he lifts it up and he begins to look around and there's nothing. And then he hears just a little bit of rattling. It was right on top of his head. And so... Uh, all of a sudden, he kind of leans to the side, and he reaches, he had a glove on, reaches his hands up and pulls down this field mouse. It was just this little deer mouse about that big that had the trap on two arms, and it was shaking, and it was banging, and it was making all kinds of noise, and then it just preciously died in his hands. And, uh, and so, uh, but in that, the reality is there's a lot of emotions that arise when we're in the depths. Sometimes they're just tiny little mice, but they sure sound big. But God calls us to wrestle through it. When we are in the depths, we have to fight fear. The psalmist uses the sword of God's word. If you look in verse 5, he says this, My soul waits, and in his word I hope. God has given you his word to hope in. That when you can't see in the depths, believe his word. That you can't feel his promises, believe his promises that are written in his words. That when you can't see God's character, you lean on God's character that's in his word. The third point, in the swirling mess of life, we rely on God's character to drive us. And he's going to give us two pieces of God's character. Look at me in verse 7, Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. You know, the, the funny thing about this is we really don't get a full in-depth look of what this man's depths were that he was writing about, right? I think that's kind of fun how it's left open without a backstory, right? But, but in his depths, he gives two character pieces of God. If you misunderstand the true character and nature of God, you will be stunted in your spiritual growth. If you don't grasp on to the real, living, breathing God that is over all of creation and you don't have a biblical view of this God's character, you will miss the boat. And in your depths, you will try to find other things or a wrong picture of God. You will respond the wrong ways when the depths hit. But here's two pieces that, uh, that the psalmist pulls out that I think are super important as we move forward. 
Number one is steadfast love or loyal love. Right? This is God that um, this is a God that just loves and is pouring out love continually on those that are his. So in this man's depth, as he's depth says he's seen the weight of his sin. Uh, this man looks forward and he says, no, 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 God loves me. I am reconciled to this God. Uh, I can wait on him on a soul level. And this God has steadfast love. In, in just a few Psalms later, in Psalm 136, this phrase is repeated 26 times in one Psalm. Loyal love, steadfast love. Uh, a good picture of what loyal love is, is uh, just uh, kind of a, if you've ever been around somebody who has worked through an addiction. I've never met somebody who's uh, worked through an addiction, and I don't think there's very many people out there that have worked through addiction who didn't have somebody to believe in them. Like when I, when I talk to people who have come out of an addiction, whatever that is, they had somebody that was behind them loyally loving them in their addiction, in their sin. They have loved them through and out of that. It was maybe a parent, maybe a friend, maybe a spouse, but they have loyally loved that person and drawn them out of that. That is what God is continually doing to you and I. We are addicted to sin. Our sin nature rises up and we have no choice but to allow God's loyal love to change our hearts. God is never looking at you, not because you're awesome, but because of what Christ did on a cross and he replaced your sin-filled life. He is looking to you and he is loyal to you in your rebellion from him. He proved it on a cross and he proves it every day for those that walk with him. He also uses this, this phrase that there is plentiful redemption. I love this phrase. Plentiful redemption. To be quite honest, I don't think I ever noticed this verse in the scriptures before, or this wording in the scriptures before. So I, I looked this up. In the New Living Translation, here's what it says. His redemption overflows. It's like you have this idea what God's redemptive work was going to do in your life, how God was going to rescue you from your sin in this side of heaven. You had an idea and you made banks of the river of God's redemption and it just overflows the banks on both sides because God's work that he wants to do in you and God's promise to be loyally loving to you overflows the banks of what you and I can even comprehend. The King James Version uses this wording, which at first I had to look this up. Is this even a word or did King James, uh, the King James Version writers just add this, make this word up? But it is plenteous redemption. I just thought that was an awesome, awesome, verge, ver, uh, an, an awesome uh, way to, to look at that word. Plenteous redemption. It's bigger than you can ever imagine. Folks, when you are in the depths, trust in God's character. He is there. He is redeeming you. He is changing you. He was pouring out his steadfast love. Move forward with confidence, which is our next point. The last point in the sermon here, number four, in the swirling mess of life, be confident in God's hand over your future. Be confident in God's hand over your future. Here's how the psalmist finishes up 130. It's kind of our last survival guide point that he gives us to remember when we're in the depths. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He will redeem Israel from all 
his iniquities. There is future hope that is always coming. That's the, the, the glory, one of the glories of being a believer in Jesus Christ is there is always a future hope awaiting us. Just as the watchman awaits the sunrise, God's redemption will happen. We will be with him one day in heaven. He will make all things new. He will make all things right. When all is swirling around you, you can be confident, church. When you don't see it, you can be confident in God's hand over your future. This psalmist has given someone in the depths hope. Church, we are people that in this town at this time are called to give people hope. It is a hope that can only come in knowing Jesus Christ. I want you to notice the second thing. The psalmist doesn't say just anybody in the depths can find this hope. Let's look back at verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you. This is a psalm for the people of God and those that are willing to turn their hearts over to God. The problem is that if you are living your life without being surrendered to Jesus Christ, if you haven't believed and received in Jesus Christ, then there is no lasting hopes for your debts. There is no bottom to how far you'll go down. But God offers hope, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's through a relationship with the one that loved you enough to die for you. See, here's the reality of the gospel, is that God made all things perfect. God made, made a world where uh, it, was, it was beautiful, His creation was perfect, and Adam and Eve walked in a sinless relationship with Jesus Christ. He would come down in the evening, and they would walk with their father. And then Adam and Eve turned to their sin. And Scripture says, all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so there was this break in fellowship, a break in relationship between man and God. And what was in between was the sin. And God looked down from heaven and he gave a future hope. As he's talking to Adam and Eve and as he's dishing out uh, the consequences of their sin, God talks about this idea that he's going to send somebody to redeem us. And that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sent to walk a sinless life on this earth, to be a sinless offering, to pay our sin fine that we accrue. And by believing and receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can be freed from sin and we can have a future hope and we can have a hope that we can grasp now in the midst of rising waters. So if you don't know Jesus, now is the time to respond. If I were coaching somebody on how to respond, I don't think there's a, an actual verbiage that you need to use to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but I think you need to be real and transparent. When somebody shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me, I went home and I knew that what I had heard was true. I knew that I, when I had heard that Christ died for me to give me new life, that that was true. And I knew that God was drawing me to him. I could feel God's drawing work in my heart. And so I just knelt down and said, God, I'm sorry for my sin and I'm yours. In whatever way you need to word that, you respond to God if you don't know him. If you have responded to him, be a beacon of hope to those that are around you. Let's pray.
we'll just cut off there. All right. <laughs> so. Oh. Mm. I don't know. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. What's that?